I want to ask that you take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Don't get too comfortable though, because I'd like for you to stand uh, as I get ready to read Colossians chapter, part of Colossians chapter 1. While you're turning there and while you're standing, you can go ahead and stand up while you're, uh, while you're turning there. Let me tell you a story real quick to kind of launch us into this. Uh, there was a, a hog and a hen sharing the same barnyard, and they heard about a church's program to feed the hungry. Well, the hog and the hen discussed how they could help. The hen said, I've got it. I've got an idea. Let's provide the bacon and the eggs for the church to feed the hungry. Well, the hog thought about that for a moment, and he said, well, there's one problem with your bacon and egg solution. He says, for you, it only requires a contribution, but for me, it's going to mean total commitment. Now, all of you saw that coming, didn't you? As soon as I started off. Today, we're going to talk about how that is what God asks of Christians, total commitment. And we're going to do so from Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. So read along with me as, um, as I read, starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, in this moment, we pray that you will lead and guide our thoughts and our hearts. That, Father, as we come to understand your word better, that it will then translate into lives that better honor you. And then, Father, when we leave this place today, may we be, maybe we be changed and, and shaped by your word in ways that we haven't before. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're in this series where we're talking about the essentials to life, and it's not all of the essentials to church life, but it's many of the essentials to church life. We talked about preaching. We talked about conversion and evangelism. Today we're talking about discipleship. We'll continue the next couple of weeks by talking about um, a couple of other very important topics. But in talking about discipleship, um, honestly, there's several things that I could have done today. I could have given you several ways that a Christian can be discipled or what that could practically look like for our church. But the way that I decided to go today is for us to simply look at this prayer from Paul and let it teach us and let it direct us. So we're going to jump right in here. By the way, verses 9 through 14 is one continuous thought. As you look at Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14, it's one long, theologically rich thought. Let's look at the first part of verse 9. Paul says, and so from the day we heard. It's the first little line he says there. So from the day we heard. Well, heard what? He's talking about the people's, the church of Colossae's love in the Spirit. In fact, if you go back to verse 8, we didn't read verse 8, but if you go back to verse 8, you're going to see that that's what he's talking about. He has just heard about how great their love in the Spirit is. He's talking about people who have been transformed by Jesus. They're becoming known for their love for God and for their love for other people. 
He continues by saying, so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, get this, may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So ever since Paul has heard about what has been happening in the Colossian church, he hasn't stopped praying that the Colossian church would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. That word filled there is the word pleuroo. Um, it means to cram, okay? Think about that, that idea of cramming something into a, into a container. Uh, it, when, you, when you filled up your coffee cup this morning, you filled it to the top. Hopefully you didn't go all the way to the very top where it was flowing over and burning you. But I want you just to imagine that coffee cup being so full that if you add one more drop to the coffee cup, what happens? It comes over. Right? This is what Paul's prayer is, that, the, that they would be filled, crammed with the knowledge of God's will. Um, there's that word knowledge there. That's the word epignosis. It's, it's, a, it's an idea that of, of recognition. So Paul's desire is that the Colossian believers would be filled to completion all the way to the top with recognition of God's will. Man, how great would that be? How many, how many times have you in your life... You probably can't count them all, where you've wondered, I wonder what the will of God is for my life. I wonder what God wants for me in this area or that area. I remember one time when I was in high school going to my pastor's office and saying, hey, I can't figure out how in the world to know God's will for me. Because that time I'm trying to figure out college, I'm trying to figure out what am I going to go into. I felt like there's a, a calling to ministry, but I'm trying to discern the will of God. The will of God is something that we all want. We want to know what it is. It's a, it's a precious thing to know the will of God. And, and Paul's desire here is that the Colossian church would be filled to completion with a recognition of that precious will of God. He wants them to know God's will. Well, Paul describes two ways in which this will of God can be found. First of all, in all spiritual wisdom, he says. In all spiritual wisdom. Now, it might sound a little bit mystical, right? And all spiritual wisdom. In reality, it's not at all. That simply means that we have a practical understanding of the things that come from God. And there's two types of, of spiritual wisdom. There's secret spiritual wisdom, and that's spiritual wisdom that only God knows. He has chosen not to reveal some things to mankind. That's secret spiritual wisdom. But then there's the revealed spiritual wisdom, and those are the things that God has revealed to mankind. And they can be found through his word and the, the indwelling and the, the, the Holy Spirit is what reveals those truths, that wisdom to us. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to take what we read in God's Word and give us practical understanding about what we've just read. And maybe you've been there before where you're reading a passage of Scripture and before it's almost like it's been a little bit vague. I'm not really sure how to understand this or what I should understand about it. But then all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit fills you with an understanding. Oh, that's what this means. And this is how it applies to life. I love it when that happens. That's the Holy Spirit working with the Word of God to show us the will of God. The second way in which the will of God can be found is in understanding there, the spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is once, once again one of those times that, that I, I look and I say, man, how many times do I get to the point where I don't have a clue what to do or, or where to turn? 
Um, how many times do I, do I feel like I'm just struggling through the day and I wonder how in the world I'm gonna, I'm gonna survive? God, what is, what is your will? What are you doing in this? And the will of God is right there at our fingertips and we do have the ability to comprehend that will. And Paul's desire, and I believe it is God's desire, is that we would come to an understanding of God's will. Now, we're not always going to know everything and understand everything about God. That's where that secret spiritual wisdom comes in. But we absolutely can understand so much more of our God than we think sometimes. Now, within verse 9 there, and that's all we've looked at so far, is verse 9. Within verse 9, there's a whole lot to grab a hold of. So let me see if I can summarize this for us a little bit. What Paul's talking about is a knowledge that goes a whole lot deeper even than, than salvation knowledge. Even after his salvation, Paul continued to gaze upon the beauty of his God and to dwell on the nature and the characteristics of God. And what he found there left him longing for more, wanting more of God. He had that initial knowledge of God and the initial knowledge of what God had done to save him. He had that initial knowledge for salvation, but there's further knowledge and understanding God as as time goes on of being a believer. And this knowledge, the salvation knowledge, the great grace and mercy that he had seen prompted him to want more. So, so Paul wants more, to know more about God. He wants to see all that God has to offer in his word and, and, and all that God has for, for Paul. And his desires that the Colossian church see the very same thing that he does. How many times... Um, do we, and maybe this applies to you, maybe it doesn't, but, but you enter into that salvation relationship with God. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, but then you think, that's it. I've done it. I've reached the point where I needed to be, not realizing that there's so much more, that there is a well that can never, ever, ever be exhausted that our God can never be fully comprehended and part of the joy of the Christian walk is to dive into the beauty of our God, the will of God, the knowledge of the will of God. Paul continues verse, verse 10 by saying this, he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This means that as a result of the change that's happened in our lives, we walk like Jesus, we talk like Jesus, we see like Jesus, we live like Jesus, we love like Jesus, we look like Jesus to the people that we come in contact with. Now, worthy of the Lord is a really, really high calling. But Paul says that when we do this, when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, then we are fully pleasing to him. That's the next phrase there. We are fully pleasing to him. You might wonder, how in the world can I please God? I'm a fallible human being. I I mess up sometimes. There's no way that God is happy with me. But did you know that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore? And there's also nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. That when God looks at you as a Christian, he is looking at you through the lens of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus that's been added to your account. And when he looks at you, he's not looking at you as a sinner, he's looking at you as a saint and his child. 
But as time goes on and we walk in this manner worthy of the Lord, we will please God by the way that we walk according to the Lord. We continue reading there, the result of walking this in this way is that we are bearing fruit in every good work. We sometimes wonder, is, is my service to God worth it? I've been working in the same ministry for a long time. I've been working with the same people, ministering, witnessing to the same people over and over and over again, and I rarely, if ever, see any kind of real fruit come out of that service to God. But God doesn't call you to bear fruit. He calls you to work in a manner, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The bearing of the fruit is left to him. That's his job. That's not your job. Maybe the reason you haven't seen the fruit that you expected to see is because you're not walking in a manner worthy of, of him. And it could be that you've, you've placed your eyes on, on yourself and what you want and your perceived ability to bear the fruit, when in reality, that's not your job. It's God's job. Your job is faithfulness. Your job is simple faithfulness to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Here's another result of, of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. He continues there by saying, increasing in the knowledge of God. <clears throat> increasing in the knowledge of God. So not only are we going to bear fruit, but we're also going to increase in our knowledge of God. And I don't know of much in this world that is more beautiful than walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And in the process of that, growing to know God more and more. And I'm not just talking about knowing more about God and knowing more about God's word because you might can pull a verse out of, a, out of thin air that applies to a certain circumstance, but what I'm talking about here is, is knowing God more, not simply more about God. Abiding with Jesus rather than talking about Jesus. Spending time with Jesus rather than talking about spending time with Jesus. Verse 11 shows us another result of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. He is where our strength comes from. It doesn't come from any power that we have within ourselves. It only comes from the glorious might of our God. That's the only place that it comes from. And that strength enables us with the ability to run this race, to walk in this manner with endurance, with patience, with joy even. So my life doesn't feel very good or happy or joyful. Once again, we are called to simple faithfulness, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He will, he will supply that endurance and patience and joy. The only appropriate response for this is found in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, the pure, simple fact of this is that we could not qualify ourselves for any of this. There's not enough good in us to even scratch the surface on what it would take for our, for our salvation and our sanctification. Not an ounce. He is the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and lights. And we give thanks to God the Father because he has qualified us to share in that. So Paul's doing there, giving thanks to the Father. He is the one that's worthy of the praise of this. He is the one who's given me the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
God's the one who has orchestrated all of this. Number 13, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Once more, as Paul saying, listen, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. From the, from the dark to the light, from a life of sin to a life of holiness and acceptance. This is what our God has done. We have gone from being a follower of Satan, according to Ephesians chapter two, to being in the kingdom of his beloved son, heirs of the great God and creator of the world. And Paul ends this with a cry of victory, and it's not a victory that is, is like anything that we would put out there or think of. It's a shout of celebration. It's an emphatic proclamation that in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And folks, it all comes back to Jesus, every bit of it. It all comes back to the reality that, that Jesus is preeminent, that he is supreme. It's God who orchestrated all of this, but it all happened through Jesus. Now you say, what in the world does that have to do with discipleship? Because that's our topic for today is Discipleship. Let's go back to the, what Paul said was his prayer at the beginning there. The prayer is this. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Folks, that should be the aim of every Christian. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that we grow in knowledge of God and in holiness. That is why Christian brothers and sisters meet one-on-one -on -one or in small groups with each other. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have the small groups in our church. That's why we have ministries that take place that, like our Ruby's ladies ministry where ladies gather together to build each other up, to disciple and, and hold each other in such a way that says, let's walk worthy of the Lord together. That's why we come into the setting like we are this morning where it's a large group of people coming to sing praises to God with theologically rich songs, to open God's word and to study God's word, to have community with each other. It's so that we can together say, let's walk in a worthy manner, in a, worthy, in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's discipleship. That's us molding and shaping each other in such a way that we honor God with our lives. And what's the result? I love the result that we find here. The result is that we will please God and we will bear fruit to the glory of God and to the good of the world around us. Now here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road. I believe it's accurate to say that some Christians aren't even at the point where they want to grow in their knowledge of God or walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Their lifestyles look a whole lot more like the world than they do like Jesus. And they'd rather coast through life with their fire insurance from hell than worry about honoring God with their lives and grow spiritually through dedicated discipleship. And I hope that that's not you because Jesus paid way too high a price for your sin than for you to simply coast through life. 
He's got a plan. He has a will for your life that goes beyond anything that you could ever imagine. And one of the most sad things that we could ever see take place in the life of a Christian is to think, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm gonna coast from this point. And to not engage with God's people in God's word to grow more like Jesus. I hope that you are pursuing discipleship through God's word, through the local church, that you're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you're abiding with Jesus, that you're pursuing the things that are good and true. Going back to the story that I told you before, God is looking for hogs. He's not looking for chickens. He's looking for commitment, not contribution. Are you contributing today or are you committing today? One boat or the other, contributing or committing. Now, in closing today, I want to invite our, our praise team to come up to get ready to sing. But I'm going to put a prayer on the screen that reflects Paul's prayer here in Colossians chapter 1. And, and what I want to ask is that you read through this prayer, just in the quietness of your seat, right where you're sitting, you read through this prayer and then you read it with, with true and genuine hearts. And I'm going to read it out loud one time and then allow you to just read it back through again. Father, I want to be filled with the knowledge of your will. So would you give me spiritual wisdom and understanding? I want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so I can be pleasing to you and so I can grow in my knowledge of you. Lord, would you strengthen me with your power so I can patiently and joyfully endure whatever this life brings? Thank you, Father. Thank you for my inheritance, for my deliverance, for my redemption, and for the forgiveness of my sins. And now I would encourage you just to spend a moment reading back over that prayer with true and genuine hearts.